0: Good morning, college football fans. Hope you got your coffee. It was a late one last night, even later one for my co-hosts Matt Zenitz and John Talty here on First Down South, uh, which is presented by Andrew Sports Medicine, who who sponsored all of our national championship game coverage. We are we are finally through the national championship, and we're through the 2020 college football season. And uh, we we were here with you yesterday previewing this game i think a lot of us felt like it was going to be a tough challenge for alabama i think we thought this was going to be a uh a slug fest out there and i even though look i i think ohio state definitely showed plenty of signs that they were a competitive team and that they they belonged in the game it didn't last didn't last too long as the game went on and alabama asserted itself with uh one of the more dominant wins that we've ever seen in a national championship game. So to, to start us off here, guys, John Talty, you were in the stadium. You were in Miami last night. What was the what was the energy like? I mean, I, I realize you've got that limited crowd there. But take me through kind of what what was happening in the press box and elsewhere as it's beginning to dawn on folks that Alabama is is taking control of this game in a big way?
1: Yeah, well, first I just want to say it's interesting as I look at myself in this uh, video screen here, it kind of – I don't, it feels like, you know, when you see a president at the beginning of their tenure and then <laughs> at the end, that's how I feel like if you found a photo of me at the beginning of 2020 and now how I look now, that's what this football season has done. I feel like I've aged a couple of years. But it was – I mean, it was just bizarre – Being at that stadium last night, just because things that we're used to were just not, I mean, just not there. I mean, it wasn't obviously a packed stadium. It was a limited um, based on that. In the press box itself were these huge, you know, kind of partitions blocking, you know, plastic basically all around you blocking, you know, each person from each other. Uh, Typically, I believe you know it's 700 to 800 media people, uh, and there was less than 200 uh, from what I was told at last night's game. So, I mean, just a lot less people. And you know, we'll get into more of the game in a second. But you know, Michael Casagrande, and one of our al.com colleagues, and I were talking about this after the game, just how bizarre it was to watch Alabama celebrate the game from the press box because typically, everyone here, you know, we've covered multiple national championships we're usually on the field. You're getting right up there. You're right in the, almost the middle of it as guys are running around celebrating Uh Scalise, famous for being the guy who hands out uh, newspapers that you guys probably see at the end of games. Everybody holds up. I've had that duty as well. And so just watching it all play out from the press box kind of removed was, was in some ways very, you know, bizarre for me uh, just haven't covered some of these, but you know, I, I don't think anyone in the press box was shocked by what was happening. I think you saw pretty early on that Justin at the level that he probably needed to be to win. Uh, and so it kind of felt, you know, as time and time went on, it just felt more and more inevitable that Alabama was gonna win.
0: And some of that some of that buildup started in the pregame too, even though we we you know from from the reporting that that the two of you did we had some idea that there could be some issues for Ohio State coming into this game but in the final minutes before kickoff uh Matt Zenitz we started getting this this news and it just sort of felt like it was cascading you suddenly hear you know that Ohio State's kicker says he's not going to be there tonight then you hear about Multiple defensive linemen. Then we get the total number of guys from Ohio State that are not available for the game. It really, it really did feel like um, as the final minutes ticked off to the game that all of the news for Ohio State was bad and all of it was good for Alabama for the most part.
2: Well, I, I think it's fair to say that the biggest thing John Talti is still trying to, to comprehend right now, and we should go back to the, the full screen look for, for this one so we can get Talti's reaction. The biggest thing he's still trying to comprehend is how I got the, the brick wall with me down to, to Miami and how I managed to pull that off. It's a, uh, I, it's I, a, I, uh, it's a green screen. To, yeah, trying to process that. Yeah. Aside, it, it was interesting, not, not to get completely off topic, so, for me, all of the, the previous Alabama National Championship games have been their important person for that. For this one, watched it from home, which even though I, I did a lot from home this year in terms of Saturdays, it felt really weird watching a, a National Championship game at home. Well, at the same time, uh, hanging out with the wife and hearing about Agenda for the next day and watching the, the 18-month-old did to go along with that. But uh, at the same time, it's still just crazy to me that – we, we were able to get to this point because six months ago, I don't know how many people would have confidently predicted that we would be able to to get to, to where we were last night and where we are right now, having successfully gotten through a, a college football season. In terms of Ohio State, completely agree. So what John and I have heard about specifically in terms of the, the position group that was most of concern or the biggest issue for them was the D-line group. I obviously, it, it came out right before the game, the the specific players, that that were going to be out within that defensive line group. But regardless of the the players that were missing for them, I I think it was just further confirmation last night that the the best team in college football this year is now the the national champion and a very deserving national champion. And to go along with that, while Nick Saban has had some some great teams at Alabama, obviously you, you can make a strong, strong case that this is the best Alabama team that he's had. And to go along with that, probably one of the the best teams in in recent college football history, especially when you factor in. You you guys know I love stats, so this is a stat I'll throw out there. So played 11 SEC teams this year to go along with Notre Dame and Ohio State, two teams obviously ranked in the the top four, made the playoff, facing the combination of those 13, 13 teams. Alabama outscored them by an average margin of 49 to 19, and there was only one game this year that was decided by less than 15 points. That's pretty ridiculous. Wayne Christian's ready to hang that banner. (laughs) Well, 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 somebody last night, give give love to – who is it? Alex Kirshner, I think, did put that out. Guy with Maryland ties, just like uh, John and and myself. He put something out about how, uh, based on what Ole Miss did against – Alabama and somebody else that they're essentially the de facto number two at this point should be number two eight poll.
0: So I mean, we'll, we will uh, we will certainly get into where Alabama's uh, team this year fits into the the discussion about all time college football accomplishments. But before we do that, I do want to kind of dig into some of the specific things that happened in this game and what your reactions were to them. I, I think first of all, you know offensively, this this game looked a lot like every other game that we've seen for Alabama. But as the game went on, they had to adapt and and changes had to be made because Devontae Smith, going out essentially right at the beginning of the second half with that dislocated finger, what looks like a dislocated finger anyway, um, really – you know, he had become such a such a focal point of the offense over the final few weeks of the season and even more so it appeared at the beginning of this game where you know Ohio State fans are screaming on Twitter in the first half of this game. how are we not covering the Heisman Trophy winner? Uh, and, and I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of schematic explanations for why he was as open as he was, but look clearly, Devontae Smith was a huge part of their game plan coming into this game. And then you're without him in the second half and, and Mac Jones and the Alabama offense finds a way to continue moving the ball and scoring. Um, Do you know John, the, the, issue? I, the, ahead, the
2: issue? If you look specifically at that third uh, Devontae Smith touchdown, where he got mesh up against the linebacker that, that, uh, I think Ohio State realized pretty quickly that they should not put somebody with similar speed characteristics as Matt Scalise or Devontae Smith and probably realized that more and more as the play was – it was progressing.
0: I think you're being. I think you're being unkind to that poor linebacker because yeah, that's I, what I Matt, Matt Scalise yeah.
2: trying to cover Devontae. No, Smith. I.
0: I think. I think that. I think that I would have had uh, multiple hash marks between me and Devontae Smith almost immediately. So that look, he he did as best as he could for a man of those dimensions. But well, the great thing that I
2: saw somebody put out a, a tweet that I like that midway or right when Devontae Smith got even and, and started. Separating more than essentially you saw the the check engine light like coming on for lives yeah very so.
0: good, very good analogy. Yeah.
2: Shout out Donkey Perkins. That's <laughs> a, game for there a he Yes. Yeah, that, that was a quality.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, 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 what I, what I'm curious about from you guys is what you saw from this offense after Devontae Smith. It's, it'd be easy for us to sit here and talk about the incredible dominant first half that Devontae Smith had. It's already been talked about. I think. You know, what, what kind of sticks out to me about this game and what I think will be a memorable part of this game are the, the contributions that were made by the rest of the team when they lose, once again, the best player on the roster.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah you know who deserves some
2: love? So it, people, I, obviously, it's very easy to, to pay attention to Mac Jones, Devontae, Najee Harris, John Mechie, some of these guys who obviously have got a lot of love throughout the course of the year. But somebody who probably deserves a little bit more credit than than I think they're getting right now is Chris Owens, who stepped into a difficult situation replacing an All-American center, the the top center in college football this year. And guess what? During the course of the last couple of games, we we didn't hear Chris Owens' name too much. So that went from being an area where it was fair to be concerned about for Alabama to being a complete non-issue where – literally didn't hear Chris Owen's name once during the course of the last two games and didn't notice him for anything negative. And that's probably the biggest compliment that you could give to an offensive lineman. They did not stick out.
1: Yeah. I'll you another guy who I think deserves more credit than he's gotten, Pete Golding. And we can get into that, you know, in more later. I know we're talking offense here, but I just think, you know, so criticized i would say all year and obviously trace sermon going out made his job a little bit easier but i thought golding had a very good game and found ways to get pressure on fields christian barmore obviously had a great game and you know they this defense you know even saban said kind of afterwards like they had an okay defense this year it was the offense that carried them but i do think the defense stepped up multiple times in that game where it kind of felt going in that you know, just getting a stop or two could be the difference. And they got multiple, which, you know, with the offense doing what it was doing, Ohio state just could not keep up. And the defense deserves credit for that. So I think Golding, you know, who's had an up and down, I would say time certainly with Alabama fans uh, is, you know, ending that year in a high note.
0: For sure.
2: Hey, Mark, uh, dude, just to follow up on what you were saying, John, and I completely agree with you that defense deserves a lot of credit for, for last night also, and just how they came along ever since the, the game against, Ole Miss. But but if you look at last night specifically, that that was an offense that that has so many future NFL guys on it, including a potential top 10 pick at quarterback that he had just thrown six touchdowns or whatever it was against Clemson. They put up 49 points as an offense against a very talented Clemson defense and you hold that offense to 24 points, less than 400 yards of total offense. And Justin Fields, to a, a very, very modest stat line where I don't even think he reached 200 yards in terms of throwing the football. So I completely agree with you that Pete Golding deserves credit. Christian Barnmore may have moved himself up into being a top 15 draft pick even more based on what he did last night, looking like the the college version of Chris Jones from the the Kansas City Chiefs out there. The the defense definitely contributed to that last night and and overall to this national championship run based on how they came along ever since that game against Ole Miss.
0: One One more item from the game before we start talking about kind of the bigger picture here. Jalen Waddle was obviously a huge story leading up to the game. We see him out there pretty early on uh, on that third down play where <laughs> a very weird play that, that it almost felt improvised as it was happening where Mac Jones kind of runs towards uh, the line to gain and then dumps it off to Jalen Waddle as he's kind of streaking towards the sidelines. Felt like maybe a, an easy way to get Waddle some space uh, and and to help him make a positive play early on the game, and he immediately comes up limping. And you know, obviously, you guys were both focused on the game. I'm I'm on. I, I was I was seeing the reaction nationally on pub, on social media, and it was pretty negative for the most part. I, I think there were a lot of Alabama fans who were really excited to see it happen, but there were a lot of people not connected to the team that are kind of their immediate reaction was to yell. You know. Get him out of there. This is not right. He shouldn't be playing. Shame on Alabama for putting him out there. Um, you know, kids got to think about his career. But but Jalen Waddle came in multiple uh, other snaps throughout the game. He continued to come in and make plays. He had end, ended the game with three catches. Uh, one, another one later in the game for a fairly crucial first down to keep a drive alive. So Jalen Waddle, look, there's no question watching him. He was not one hundred percent. He was he was playing through probably some pretty intense discomfort. And do, do you guys do you guys feel? I guess that's that would be my question. to You guys is how do you feel watching that happen? Because ultimately, as we've been told over and over again, it was Jalen Waddell's decision to play.
2: Yeah, I, I think the, the the Alabama medical staff does a, a terrific job and. They, they were very careful throughout the course of this entire process with him and evaluated him during the course of pregame warm-ups. After finishing up with pregame warm-ups, had a conversation with, with Jalen and his family and made a final determination as to whether he, he could go out there. But one, one thing I can say very confidently, not only this situation, but uh, any situation from a medical standpoint, Alabama would not put him out there if there was any concern whatsoever in terms of re-injuring or putting the player at further risk related to that specific injury. And that was definitely the case with Jalen Waddle last night. So I, I think from a confidence standpoint, that obviously that that was a work in progress. Cause it was his first time going out there and playing football since, since, since breaking, fracturing his ankle, October 24th. So I think there was some reluctance or not reluctancy, but uh, that, that he probably, was working back to a point where he was confident doing everything that he would typically do and probably just uh, f- felt some discomfort during the course of the game as he was getting back to to doing that for the first time since injury. But I, I can say 100% that there was not concern as far as re-injuring that or making it worse. Otherwise, they would not have put him out there.
1: John, we yeah. talked
2: about it Tuesday morning. And essentially
1: what he said was that, you know, Waddle's straight line speed was pretty close to what, It should be at his issues, or I guess, or challenges were cutting because you know you got to put weight on that ankle to cut, and then also you know decelerating, trying to slow down once you get revved up. And so, they tried these, you know, talk about how they tried to basically do things to you know limit that stuff, and also you know, being able to just capitalize on the fact he's incredibly fast. And so, you know, they didn't do that that much with him. Um, you could tell he was uh somewhat you know hampered by just that ankle and and Saban himself said that like he had that injury too and so he knew i mean it's just that ankle's gonna be tight it's gonna be tough to get it fully loose it's, again do the things that you're used to doing but like matt said i don't think that alabama would put him in a position uh if they didn't think he was okay to play and ultimately you know i do think they deferred in some regard to Jalen really wanting to play in this game and i don't think you know anything we saw uh you know, during that game, even at times it looked like he wasn't a hundred percent, you know, made it a bad decision.
0: Yeah, that 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 makes a lot more sense when you say that the the decelerating part, because it did seem like that he really was running, you know, like we would have expected to see from Jalen Waddle of old on those crossing routes. It's it's after he's out of bounds that he sort of seemed to pull up. And I and I guess that's that's just putting a lot more strain on that ankle to slow down. He's basically the the guy from uh from Mighty Ducks Two, who's an incredible skater, but can't—he doesn't know how to stop. That's what it—that's what he—that's what he became here. Yeah.
1: I mean, if they got him loose, just be like, just keep running through that tunnel. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: who was the the D two character? I can't even remember his name. Luis.
0: Wait, what was I was believe it? his name was Luis. Yes, he okay. he was a he was a Latino gentleman from uh, from yeah. D two, the Mighty Ducks. yeah. he had the big goal in the the championship game too, where he did stop. <laughs> so he learned to. All right.
2: Guys,
0: spoiler yes. alert. I was
2: going to watch that. Jalen Waddle also. So, I obviously, in any situation like this, Alabama's going to do their due diligence, and there's a lot that goes into the process of determining whether it's even safe for, or, or realistic for a player to get back out there. And one of the interesting things that was mentioned to me during the course of the build up to the game was obviously Alabama uses the, the catapult system, the GPS system. And I guess Jalen had indicated to people that. His numbers were similar or maybe even better in terms of like straight line stuff than they were pre-injury and, and were closer than you may, than people may think based off last night in terms of some of the lateral stuff to, to go along with that. So that that was part of the decision making process for them behind the scenes. But I found that interesting just in terms of some of those numbers that 11 weeks removed from fracturing his ankle, that he was back to a point where he was as good or better from a straight line standpoint and close when it came to the lateral stuff to go along with that.
0: Bodes very well for his draft stock for sure. And uh, we'll, we'll be hearing more about that I'm sure in the coming weeks and months. Let's um, let's move on to kind of the the bigger picture here for Alabama, which is, the, the conversation that's already happening and that you guys are writing about in a lot of the, the pieces that you're doing for al.com about this team's legacy their place in history you know we've been hesitant to dive in to this subject too early um, I've brought it up in show planning a few times and and you guys sort of have wisely said let's wait let's wait till till the championship and you know I, I think at this point this Alabama. Team is actively part of the discussion of is this the best team in college football history? The players were asked about it last night. They all obviously uh, agreed that it is. But what would what would be your argument? I guess, and um, kind of which direction are you leaning? I know obviously you guys both covered this team, so you've got a little bit of a different perspective on it. But do you do you do you feel like this is a comparison that's going to stick and it's going to hold up? Well,
2: I, I think was a, very new, not to cut you off, John. I, I always hate comparing uh, teams from from different eras because who knows what this Alabama team would have looked like against, like for example, the 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 two thousand Miami team or the the USC teams with Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, and all of them. I think it'd be a hell of a game, but I, I just I, I think it's tough to make those comparisons. One thing I will say is. This was as dominant of a team from beginning to end in terms of the season as any that I've ever seen. And we already mentioned the the average scoring margin throughout the course of the year against a, a very quality schedule. Obviously, that is one of the more impressive runs in terms of that level of dominance consistently throughout the course of the year that that, that I've ever seen. And then one of the, the other big takeaways for me coming out of last night. So going back to Nick Saban's first national championship at Alabama in 2009. During the course of these last 12 seasons, and this is something that just further cements him as is, is arguably the, the best coach in, in college football history and one of the best coaches overall in football history. During the course of these last 12 seasons at Alabama, those 12 seasons have consisted of six national championships, seven conference championships, and an overall record while playing in the SEC of 151 and 15 during the course of these last 12 years.
0: Pretty good. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty That's good. That's right. Yeah, John. This, you know, obviously, an undefeated team specifically is is pretty rare uh, at Alabama under Nick Saban. It's it's you know it's rare in college football. Period. But this, if if we're comparing, you know, let let's maybe limit the discussion to Nick Saban's best team. If we're comparing this team to two thousand nine, why would why would this one? Uh, get the edge over Nick Saban's other undefeated team, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, well, first, I just want to say like, I totally agree with Zenith. I almost think you have to break up this argument into eras. You know, like, you know, Nebraska was incredible and was as dominant as anybody, but the game has changed so incredibly much since then. It's really hard to compare a dominant Nebraska team to this. I think, even with, again, just even within, I mean, that 2009 team was 11 years ago. That's not that long ago, but just look at the way the game has changed. And so, you know, one of our colleagues is kind of working on a story around those two teams now, and it just it's hard for me to look at these two teams and, you know, look at that 2009. I mean, Terrence Cody was a great player. Terrence Cody probably could play one series now, and then he'd be gassed based on the tempo that this Alabama team puts out there. And so there's just a lot of guys on that 2009 Alabama team that were built for that moment to be great that given the way offenses have changed, I don't think could really play much now against this 2020 Alabama offense. And so I think for this moment, it's easy to say the 2020 team is better. Uh, the 2009 team was, you know, Saban's first at Alabama. There's something that's always going to be special about that. But like Matt said, this was an incredibly dominant season. There was, you know, so much stress and pressure Uh that always comes with being in Alabama, but certainly with COVID nineteen and the daily testing and not being able to be a normal college kid uh, as part of this greater goal to try to win a national championship makes it, you know, easy for me to say I think this is his best team given all the different circumstances. And I think just in terms of a big picture look, you know, again, if you kind of break it down into eras. I do think what's kind of interesting is that you can make an argument that the last three national championship teams, Clemson undefeated, LSU undefeated, and now Alabama undefeated. Each of them has an argument and has made an argument. They are the best team ever. And so, you know, who knows in 20, next year, some team might go undefeated and be the next one to claim they're the best uh, ever. But, you know, just between these 2019 and 2020 uh, LSU and now Alabama, you know, both of those, I think have fair arguments. I think, uh, I would probably give the edge a little bit to Alabama just on, you know, some of the things that Zant hit on earlier, the teams they had to beat. But, you know, that, that LSU team last year was was very
2: good. Let's so one uh, thing go the, yeah, one, one thing I'll add in that makes it easy in terms of just picking this as Saban's best team at Alabama. So we, with the exception of 2009, all the other teams, all the other national championship teams lost a game. 2009 had – four games that were decided by 10 points or fewer, including one game against Lane Kiffin in Tennessee that obviously came down to a blocked field goal that was necessary in order to win that game. You you were never a a field goal deciding a game this year. And again, you only had one game the entire year that was decided by less than 15 points, let alone four that were decided by 10 points or, or fewer.
0: Matt, I will say like 2009 this year, Lane Kiffin probably came as close to scaring yeah. this team as as anybody well, Lardin, else did. did a good job, also. Who who, who did you say?
2: Florida in that SEC title game did, did some good things for also. sure.
0: Yes, yes, I agree.
2: Credit uh, hey, to to John's guy, Dan Mullen, did
0: some good things. I mean, if you again, if you go back to two thousand nine, the the two toughest challenges that Alabama faced that year that Tennessee game and the F- SEC championship game in which Dan Mullen. Was the offensive coordinator, so not. We're we're just we're just doing a big loop through time. There's there's nothing that actually new happening. It's just slight variations. It's
1: all a flat circle.
0: That's right. We're in the we're in the the multiverse of Alabama football at this point, and it's it's all just slightly different one way or the other we worked so, in the Marvel reference. I I'm had to proud. do it. had to do it. The, right, the
2: urge uh, of uh, Wanda and Vision coming out. Right? It makes it even more impressive that you were able to work that in. I, I guarantee yeah. it's recently you've seen the, the, the previews. I'm sure you started to, to read they, the, the, the original.
0: They hammered it with. Uh, they hammered us with it last night on the broadcast. So, <laughs> so, so listen, going forward here, um, you know, we're going to be getting news about guys declaring for the NFL draft in the next week or so here. Um, we're, we're probably not expecting anything remotely close to what we saw a year ago, where so many guys announced that they were coming back for another season, regardless of the fact that all of these guys were given a blanket waiver by the NCAA to return if they want to. So it's an option on the table for anybody who wants to come back next year. But this team has a lot of guys with, with very heavy NFL, um, you know, a, a lot of NFL buzz going for them right now. So, you know, working off the assumptions we have of the guys who we expect to leave at this point, how do you guys see this team going forward into 2021? How big of a rebuild job does Nick Saban have on his hands heading into next season? And I'll start with you, John.
1: Well, I've learned my lesson on this because I've thought he had bigger rebuild uh projects in the past and then they find a way to be dominant again. So I think we can just assume that they will probably be extremely good again next year. Uh, I mean, they're losing a lot of pieces on offense. Uh, you know, likely I'm sure we lose some on defense too. Uh, but again, I just remember thinking last year when they lost to uh, and rugs and Judy and, and all those different guys and Jedrick Wills, like you thought, oh, man, that offense is probably gonna take a step back next year. They lost all these guys and yet the offense was even better this year. So I think they're gonna lose a lot of big pieces, guys that you probably fell in love with this year. You know, they will almost certainly lose three of the top five finalists and for the Heisman Trophy. That's incredible. That's a massive loss. But we know the way that Alabama recruits, we would know the way that Nick Saban has assembled talent there, that even if there's a step back. I don't think it's going to be some massive thing. Uh, I think they will find a way to still be very successful next year. And I'm sure as all these early top 25 rankings come out, they are probably going to be one, two, or three in every single one of them.
0: Matt, where do you see as kind of the biggest um, the biggest potential drop-off for this team? Or let's, we, we could phrase it as the area where they'll need to do the most work to kind of get back up to an elite level between now and the start of next season.
2: I mean, I don't know about uh, area of, of most concern at this point, but it's tough when you lose most likely three of the, the top five guys in the, the Heisman running, as John pointed out, to go along with the Outland Trophy winner, the, the Remington winner, some key pieces along that that offensive line, and then some guys defensively also. But the biggest thing I'll say is they have done, and I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here, they, they've done a great job from a recruiting standpoint, continued to do that. To, to the point where they're going to be okay. And wait, whether it's next year or the year after that, it, it's not going to be long before you see Alabama competing for a national championship once again. And it would not surprise me whatsoever if they end up being more competitive for something like that next year than maybe people would assume right now based off what they're about to lose. Because wait, when you look at the roster that they're going to have – May most likely be losing Mac Jones, but you have a very, very talented young guy ready to step in at quarterback, and Bryce Young to to go along with some skill guys to go along with him. Some talented young skill guys that I, I think people are going to be impressed with with what they see from those guys next year when they get their chance. And guess what? Lose some key guys off the offensive line also, but still bring back Evan Neal uh, and potentially some other guys to to go along with that 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 have contributed this year and have wait, the best offensive line recruiting class in, in college football history coming in where th- those guys will probably factor into the competition also, and, and then we'll see what, it, what happens defensively. But it, it's not just going to be some significant drop-off for Alabama where it goes from like LSU last year winning the national championship and having a 500 season this year. It's not going to be anything like that. And even with what they lose, you, you would still be hard-pressed to, to find many, if any, more talented teams across the board from a, a talent standpoint in the SEC or the country than what Alabama is going to have next year. And that quarterback, Bryce Young, is going to be very good. So I, I hope people in the college football world are are ready for that and just uh, – we'll see what he's able to do when he gets his opportunity. But I know Alabama people are, are optimistic about what he's going to be capable of when he steps into – his that's
0: opportunity. The, that's the tease we're looking for there from Matt Zenit. So we want that scoop to hear what Alabama's feeling about their quarterback situation. So very interesting to hear. We will certainly see as this plays out, hopefully we get something resembling a normal spring practice this year. We weren't able to get that for you last year. So we kind of came into this season blind and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll definitely be keeping you guys posted. There will be a lot of news even though today feels like a day for celebrating for Alabama fans, um, it, it it's not going to be long before before it, th- it feels like the news cycle is is moving forward again. So we'll be on top of all of it. John, travel back safely to Alabama, and uh, and thanks for all the work you did down there in Miami. Matt, continue to uh, to kick the butts of uh, the SEC reporting world as you've continued to do, and we'll see everybody next week as we start. Moving forward to the 2021 football season.
1: Andrews Sports Medicine, aggressively pursuing victory over injury. Call 205-939-3699.